Utopia, a special edition of Student Radio Maastricht, dedicated in solidarity with all the activists fighting for change in a world that continually oppresses. I'm Ruby Yancer, and that was What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. Produced in 1968, it's one of the most utopic songs in popular culture, and perhaps the only parallel being John Lennon's Imagine, which was released four years later in 1972. It is a great parable of seeing beauty amongst desolation, that even in sad moments, happiness will prevail. But yet, a central critique of utopia, it is that it is unattainable and based on an overly optimistic worldview. I hope I can change that today. So I'm really happy to have three people in the studio, four people in the studio. Saskia, Diana, Sachit, and Sina. Welcome, welcome, everybody. And I would like to provide a short introduction for today's show. Um, and base around what I've been doing over the past year because this show hasn't just been a couple of weeks in production it's been an entire year and a half of pre-production and planning and research and many other things so this show will be used as my graduation event for my degree my bachelor degree at the Maastricht Academy of Interdisciplinary Arts and I've been interesting, interested in producing episode, uh, producing safer spaces and inclusive spaces and talking about design and inclusivity in our world to dismantle the injustices we see around us in every day. And I'm really happy to introduce a phone-in, which is one of the first times we've had this on the show, on 043-344-0668. So let me repeat that for you, 
043-344-0668. So if you feel like calling in, then we'll be happy to welcome your contribution. And now I'd like to all our guests to say hello. Hello. <laughs> hello. Hello. Thank you for having us, Ruby. Of course. And hello. I'd like to begin by asking each of you to give a short introduction about yourself and where you're from and what you do. Uh, so Saskia, can we start with you? Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you, Ruby, for um, this uh, very special invitation. Um, I feel privileged to be here. Um, my name is Saskia Valk. I'm the program leader of uh, the Academy of Interdisciplinary Arts. And uh, my role, you could say, is to be the connector within the iArts program and also the connector from iArts to the world around us. Hi, I'm Sachet, and I'm uh, really happy you asked me to be here, Ruby. Um, I'm an artist and cultural agent. Um, I'm studying music at the conservatorium. I play the piano and I'm a composer. And I collaborate with artists across disciplines. And I love to, well, observe, view and, you know, propagate cultural activity and speak about change. And Saina? Hi, I'm Saina. Uh, I study at University College Maastricht. I'm from Iran and currently I'm making a documentary about safer spaces and digital togetherness during this pandemic that we're facing. And last but not least, Diana. Uh, hello, I'm Diana Caballero. I'm a storyteller and theater maker from Mexico City. And not less important, I'm really happy to be here because I'm your personal friend and I have been present in all these processes that have been really, really long and like really awesome so i'm really happy to see the results and how it wraps <laughs> <laughs> me too and first task for each of you my guests is for each of you to describe what your own utopia is or your own definition of the word everyone i've spoken to in the last year has a very different definition of the word and i think we all think very different things when we hear that but yeah i think there are some red threads so sina would you like to start for me, a utopia would be a place of prosperity and harmony, but also with excitement. Thank you very much. Diana? I think an utopia is every time we allow ourselves to fantasize with a gen more gentle word in a more human world, let's say. Saskia, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, um, I was very happy that you opened with this uh, song of Louis Armstrong. Uh, I've been listening to that song since I was 11. And when you have that age, then the world around you looks very promising and very beautiful. And you have nothing but dreams. And when you get older, at least when I get older, you also lose some of those dreams, of course. And Utopia connects to that. To me, I would say... It mainly goes for me about striving for a collective harmony, which is in these times in our very individual world, um, a big, big challenge. And Sajid, what's your view on utopia? Well, it's difficult to kind of come up with a single view of utopia, but the way I look at utopia, it's... Um, it's, it's a label. It's a label for our dreams and what we want ourselves to be, what we want everything around us to be. And it's a label for a place that we haven't yet reached. We, we probably cannot even completely imagine where we treat each other with fairness, with respect, and we have harmony, yeah. 
And I guess for myself, if I answer the same question, for me it's also related to the dreaming thing. It's about dreaming of a future where the injustices of this current world we live in don't exist somehow, or at least imagining a future without such injustice that, or with, that we can build out of what we see in the world. And I think over the last few months, this was amplified. For the last year, I've spent a lot of time creating safer spaces with events at the B32, which many of the listeners I know will have been at. And that was kind of an exercise for me to start creating these inclusive spaces and safer spaces that allow for a utopia of the present. A lot of people consider utopia to be future forward and future thinking, but for me, it's also something very rooted in the present. We make the decision to be utopian. And yet when a corona crisis happened, I was struck by a deep depression about cultural spaces, about safe spaces, about dissent. Because for me, creating these utopian spaces has been a very, I guess, physical exercise. It's always associated with physicality and a notion of being and interacting in physical space. As suddenly you're plunged into a world where this won't happen until March next year, probably which is when most of the cultural institutions are going to reopen. So I was forced to reconsider my worldview somewhat about what we can do in these times in order to revolutionize our thinking about what these concepts mean to us and what, how we can relate to them in a way that deconstructs the world around us, even though we cannot congregate in a physical space in the same way we once did. And of course, with the Black Lives Matter movement in the past month or so, um, there have been mass protests and there has been a lot more gathering and there has been this collective spirit again uh, but that is also against the backdrop of the corona crisis so there's a really interesting dichotomy going on there and I had a lot of interviews with people over this time uh, with various makers varying from Canada to the UK to Germany and I would like to play you a short excerpt of sound design I did about two weeks ago, uh, based around the topics that I was interested in. And I'll play that for you and then we can really get into the discussion with all of you and have your ideas about how we can tackle these issues in our lives. So enjoy. The UK case of coronavirus is the first to be contracted within the country rather than abroad. The man walked into a GP surgery in Surrey feeling unwell. It came as another patient who'd been quarantined on a cruise ship in Japan became the first Briton to die from the illness. More than 5 million people are now known to be infected with the coronavirus. New infections are easing in Europe and the US, but experts say a second wave is inevitable. There's been another night of rioting across the United States as anger over police racism and brutality shows no sign of letting up. 
The protest over the death of 46-year-old George Floyd began peacefully last week in Minneapolis. The police officer who knelt on his neck for eight minutes and three of his colleagues have now been fired. Demonstrations have stretched throughout the country, becoming larger and more violent. Do you think that's utopian in some way, or what, what, what would the word utopia mean to you? No, I think it's interesting because I'm like not so much interested in like um, uh, introducing a utopia, uh, but I want to like actually, which would like be looking into the future, right? And also like by the meaning of the word utopia, it would mean like it is an unreachable future that is like in this world or in the concept. But like what I want to do is like look back to like the, the ground assumption of what we are. Uh, like what are we like, yeah. how do we look at people? What's our, and like in, in mathematics, it's, uh, it's, there's this word of ac axiom, axiomatic or so. So what is like the assumption? And every system needs these assumptions. So for math for example like one of these axioms is zero is less than one mm -hmm. and that is like and we need this rule that is like and you know you can't prove that But like we need to assume that in order for the whole system of logics to work. And like so every system has these axioms. And if my axiom is people are good and they want good, then I can build a totally different system out of, of that assumption compared to the system people are bad and they need a certain kind of elite, which is good to rule them. And this elite is being able to tell them what to do because they are bad. Like the outcome will be groundbreakingly different. Just based on the assumption that people are yeah. good. Yeah. Yes. And I think we have been working, a very, or like we have been working and living for the last, I would say like basically since the enlightenment at least on the, under the assumption of like people are bad and people need schooling and people need training that's all like christian protestant bullshit right like someone telling you what that you need to be more pure that you need to be and like i i can tell you what is pure and like i can tell you that this is bad so i have like power over you because i can take the bad away from you and so on and so on yes um also now it's still used for political class uh, in order to um, to justify that they are making the rules for other people as if these people were children who couldn't tell what they actually need.
and make that happen. So, yeah, for me, it's maybe less about the utopia thing, because I think that can be reached via everyone. But it's more about like looking back and see what we are assuming and on what assumptions we are living. And we know the, the power of narration. I mean, that's what psychoanalysis taught us. Mm-hmm. That like, um, this narration is forming us. And if we had another narration, we would be different. And we'd have a different outlook on things. Exactly. We would behave differently. That would make others then also like directly experience other things and make them feel differently and, and so on and so on. And then it's like really this spiral of what it does. And do you think we can reshape this process about how like people having these good intentions to start off with through like this kind of community center ideas and this involving people? Yeah, totally. And it's like something that like everyone individually can do, right? Like you can try to shape your idea of like, no, I do believe you. Like I do meet you with a smile (laughs) and hell, like in bad days, a stranger smiling at you can change a lot of your day. (laughs) And it's such a small thing compared to someone like looking at you with like distrust and, um, Thank you so much to Florian Fisher for that interview a few weeks ago and I'd like to start with thinking about this assumption that people are innately good which is something that Florian brought up during the interview and I saw a couple of slightly incredulous faces when this was happening so Diana would you like to start with responding to what you heard and what your views are of course i mean this is a really complex conversation like are we good or bad from the beginning and what that it's implying uh in one sense i really think that it's important to put on the table that people shapes with the environment they are in we cannot just be hoping that there is a nature that it's good or bad uh, and it's kind of out of this control because we are going to shape with the people that is around us with the environment with the things that are happening for me i really think it doesn't even matter if we are good or bad as nature like just imagining that we are just bad in nature and like that is the reality and we all reach that conclusion. So we just dropped out in that moment and like <laughs> is the time to say like, oh, okay, we were all bad all this time, like let's just surrender. Like I think more important than that or upon that is the fact that we are able to learn so much and to unlearn is this capacity of change that is actually above this inner nature that I, I don't really think it's worth like in opposition to this ability to change, to evolve and to learn and unlearn what we are doing. And I really think this is a process of ongoing questioning. Like it's something you start, but you are never actually going to reach or finish because it's just ongoing work in one sense. And Sina, what would your response to both to Diana's comment and what you heard? Um, I agree with Diana. I, I also don't believe that we have an essence within us and we're just born with certain traits, certain characteristics, and that's about it. I think we're shaped by 
our surroundings, our societies, and also we shape them as well. So I don't think anyone is innately good or bad. It just really depends on their social surroundings. It's a matter of luck in some senses as well. Um, so yeah, I don't think that um, our inherent characteristics even matter. It's more about our action. It doesn't matter if you, you have good intentions, but if you don't act upon it, then what's the point of it? And how do you think this relates to the notion of privilege? Before the show, we were talking about this, and you said it's a very privileged position to take. Yeah, exactly. So some people believe that the world is a better place if you just try to see the best in people. But I think it's a really naive and privileged perspective because I think you can only think in this way if you've lived in a bubble and you've never faced the harsh realities that most people who are not in that position of power um, face. So um, I think that if we want to see the world as a better place, then everyone should act to make it better. So just trying to see the best in people is definitely not enough. And Saskia? Um, yeah, I think it's a very interesting uh, response from uh, the, the two of you. Um, to me, actually, I don't believe in this distinction between good and bad because we are so complex creatures. Um, put me in uh, the right or the wrong position, if you like, and I will also kill you, you know, or love you or whatever. So that's because we are only humans. And um, I'm quite aware that we here in the West are living in a very privileged position. I mean, if the worst thing that can happen in your life is that going to lowlands is not going to happen this summer, you know, then that just to give an idea about, yeah, how you perceive it. And at the same time, yeah, it's not one's fault that you are raised in such a privileged position. So what we do need, I believe, is um, far more nuance in any debate than we have had so far. So what to me is very scary is that the radicalization that is now going on in any topic of the discussion so that people don't search for um, an understanding but they are searching for their voice and I I do get that because you, you need to be heard first but then you can only gain something when you start a dialogue. Um, and I can, yeah, that to me, the fear is that we get stuck in this radicalization and that the dialogue won't even start, that this is only the beginning of a, of a new war. And at the same time, I don't want to be so pessimistic, you know. So I think we have to plea for a dialogue. And what to me is now currently comforting in that is that I see that also people who normally do not interfere in the public debate or in the political debate are now starting to interfere. So also uh, people who run companies, also people who work for the police, also people who normally don't really speak up when it comes to matters like this. Now you hear their voices and that is a very good thing. And you spoke about this idea about radicalization for a moment. Um, Diana, do you have any perspectives on this? Yes, uh, I think it's actually something I have been listening a lot lately, like mostly what it's happening right now with this conversation about racism. And there is a lot of people really scared of like, oh, like, okay, but we shouldn't take it radical. Radical means from the roots. 
So anything that is radical, it needs to be understanding from the root and actually getting to the main core of things. So for me, it's important that we are radical because that means that we are going deeper enough to understand these things. And of course, there is, I agree that there is this conversation that is needed and this dialogue that is needed. But when you are in a state of survival, like just assuming the idea of this is a conversation, it's already a privilege. And it's already something that people, that it's in danger, is not going to put ever as a priority because it's really far from their reality and, and the way to action from there. Such it. Um, regarding the innate goodness and badness of people, I think Saskia said a lot of what I wanted to say, which is that people are not really products of their circumstance much more than innately good or bad even if people have a feeling you know some a lot of people feel like they have a moral compass within them a voice that tells them what to do but they will ignore that voice if that if they require to ignore the voice to feed their children so um i think people's actions are determined by circumstance much more than their innate compasses you might in some situations find people who will hold to their ideals but that's not true for the vast majority and uh, regarding radicalization, the, the term I prefer here is polarization. What I, what I fear when I see this is polarization, because I completely agree that radicalization is essential, important, and a very good thing today. But what I feel is that there is, uh, that every debate today gets polarized, and um, it almost becomes intolerant on both sides. So, you know, you have people who are, who you might consider good and people whom you might consider bad, and neither will talk to the other. There are no talking points in between. There's nothing to agree upon. And they've become factions with no reason within them. So, uh, and I think that's, that's a problem. It doesn't matter where on the political spectrum or in which discussion this happens. As soon as you stop listening to the people who will criticize you, you are going to end up in ruin. And that's my primary fear today. My primary fear is that we've all somehow started believing that again, we are in a black and white world when everything is shades of gray and the worst murderer has had a moment of kindness. And I've got a question for you, Saina. Um, because you've been in Iran and Hong Kong and you've got this experience of being here as well, which are three very different countries with very different contexts as well. And I'm interested in what your own perspective is on this polarization, because I feel there is polarization everywhere. Exactly. Um, so I think it's really a matter of... Um, where you position yourself in general, but also where your um, stance is on particular events. And I think every major um, discourse, every major issue that is brought up, it has the potential to polarize people. But I agree with what you said, Sachit, that the most important thing is that we try to listen to each other, try to um, just understand each other in a way that um, we shouldn't be so fragile in a way, shouldn't be so offended of hearing different perspectives. And it really doesn't matter um, where it is, whether it's in Iran or in Hong Kong or in the Netherlands. Um, it's just a matter of having open eyes and ears and not taking ourselves and our egos that seriously and just trying to move towards a better world utopias can be too idealistic can be unattainable and maybe their beauty is in its in this sense you know maybe the beauty is because it's unattainable um but if we want to try to make this world a better place as cliche as it might sound 
we just need to try a bit harder to be better people towards ourselves and every other species and this planet. Yeah, totally. And I think now is about the time when I want to play another song. And this is about considering the past and how we go forward because in my personal belief, we can't begin to talk about the future or even the present without considering the actions that have happened in the past. And this song is by an incredible indigenous musician, Buffery St. Marie from Saskatchewan in Canada. And I really encourage you to listen to her lyrics because I think the lyrics of this song have a lot to say today. It was written back in the 60s and yet, yeah, it's incredible. So here it is for you guys. Now that your big eyes are finally opened Now that you're wondering how must they feel Meaning them that you've chased across America's movie screens Now that you're wondering how can it be real That the ones you've called colorful, noble and proud in your school propaganda They starve in their splendor You've asked for my comment, I simply will render My country, tis of thy people you're dying Now that the longhouses breed superstition You force us to send our toddlers away to your schools Where they're taught to despise their traditions Forbid them their languages Then further say that American history Really began when Columbus set sail Out of Europe and stress that the nation of leeches that's conquered this land are the biggest and bravest and boldest and best and yet where in your history books is the tale of the genocide basic to this country's birth of the preachers who lied how the bill of rights failed how a nation of patriots return to their earth and where will it tell of the liberty bell as it rang with a flood over kins of mud and a brave Uncle Sam in Alaska this year my country tis of thy people you're dying the West with her shivering children in zero degrees. Blankets for your land, so the treaties attest. Oh, well, blankets for land is a bargain indeed. And the blankets were those Uncle Sam had collected from smallpox disease dying soldiers that day and the tribes were wiped out and the 
history books censored A hundred years of your statesmen Have felt it's better this way Yet a few of the conquered Have somehow survived Their blood runs the redder Though jeans have been paled From the Grand Canyon's caverns To craven sad hills The wounded, the losers The robbed sing their tale From Los Angeles County To upstate New York The white nation fattens While others grow lean Oh, the tricked and evicted They know what I mean Crumbled, the future just threatens Our lifeblood shut up in your chemical tanks And now here you come, bill of sale in your hand And surprise in your eyes that we're lacking in thanks For the blessings of civilization you've brought us The lessons you've taught us brought us oh see what our trust in america's bought us my country tis of thy people you're dying now that the pride of the sires receives charity now that we're harmless and safe behind laws now that my life's to be known as your heritage now that even the graves have been robbed now that our own chosen way is a novelty hands on our hearts we salute you your Choke on your blue, white, and scarlet hypocrisy Pitying the blindness that you've never seen That the eagles of war whose wings lent you glory They were never no more than carrion crows Pushed the wrens from their nest, stole their eggs Change their story The mockingbird sings it It's all that she knows Ah, what can I do? Say a powerless view With a lump in your throat And a tear in your eye Can't you see that their poverty's profiting you? My country is of thy people you're dying. Thank you to Buffy Saint Marie and my country is of thy people you're dying. We must not forget that what happened in the past is essential to build this future. We are we are all living in Europe and we are all complicit by living here in a colonial genocide. 
to dismantle the system, we must dismantle the past. And to dismantle this system, we must acknowledge the sins that have gone before us in this country, in this continent. And colonization has no doubt played an enormous part in the current politics of today. We wouldn't have the Black Lives Matter movement of today if the crimes of genocide hadn't been committed years ago. So I would like to open up the discussion to all of you again, my guess about your response to the song and the topics it brings up. Um, Sina, would you like to start? Sure. I think you brought a really good point up that I think we all carry a burden of the past of our societies, whether you're from here or anywhere else. And I think just by being born in a certain nation, certain responsibilities and burdens are on your shoulder and you have to um, face it. And some people who are in that position of privilege, they can you know, just close their eyes to it and say that I'm apolitical or I don't, like it's none of my business. I'm an individual living my own life. Um, but most other people don't really have this privilege. Um, usually people of color or any minority, they're a rep representative of their group. So whether we want it or not, we have this responsibility. Um, and also to those who see themselves as individuals, I think it's really important that we all understand that the way that we're living in this capitalist society is on the back of some people who are you know facing modern slavery to produce all these products that we can just consume so cheaply and so easily so in a way we're all complicit in that um, and also to those living here in Europe um, and who are privileged but see themselves as individuals um, the happy life you're living now is mainly because of your ancestors um, colonization journeys. Uh, so I think it's really important that we all understand our position in this and try to change it if we are aiming for a better world for everyone. Yeah. And Diana, coming from Mexico to Europe, how has your views on the, this been of Europe and the consequence and colonization and these and how we can begin to change these systems or the way people approach them? Before coming here also like to an art school, in Mexico there is always this idea of the academy and the real art being in Europe and the real creation being in Europe. And I think it's really important, I mean, also you need a little bit distance sometimes to see both things. But, but it's that thing, we need to recognize where we come from, like even, in, even if I'm not from here, just by living here, I need to acknowledge how many privileges I'm taking by this space, but not being home, for example. And, and it's, this, it's the same thing, like we need to unlearn, we need to listen to the people's voices that have been denying through history. I think that is the first step. And something about, uh, I found really interesting about also this guilt, like let's say this white guilt that now we are all seeing online and we are seeing pictures of white people doing really weird things and saying like, sorry for being white uh, with chains. And I mean, maybe this is way too personal, but that uh, really makes me think of my mom when I was really small and I would break something and I would cry and I say like, oh, I'm so sorry for this. And like she would almost slap me and say like, no, you never ask forgiveness before trying to fix the damage you did. 
if you are just asking forgiveness without trying to do anything, you feel guilty. But then you are guilty. Don't, don't try to stop that guilt and just try to feel better. Because that it's something that I'm really feeling in the contrast right now that we are living. And that is the thing, in which moment we take this privilege, it's small or big, or in any sense, at what we are doing with it. And, and what are we talking about and what is worth to talk about. Also, I think in the creation and speaking as an artist, like we really have this responsibility to our, our creation to give a space of more inclusive fictions and realities. Because at the end, our, our reality itself is just this agreement of fictions we have been through history. So I think there is this transformity, ability, and magic when, when we are doing art. And, and, and coming back to what an utopia is, you know, it's not just this novel that we wrote about this science fiction future with cars flying, but it's also us sitting in the garden and saying like, wow, like this is horrible. Like this, this should stop. How, how would we do it? Even if it's a, just a two person conversation. It's also a kid watching a movie and saying like, wow, like I would write the, the end different. You know, from that it starts our ability to say that in the moment we give names to things, these things start existing. And I think there is a great value, like in both sides, from Mexico, from me being here and recognizing all the things I miss and all the things that even I wouldn't value because you have this sense of escaping. And of, of course, like if they brainwash you all your life saying that this is better, that your skin, better, uh, skin color is this or that, you need to do this really painful ongoing process of questioning everything you think you know because you are not sure that there is anything real yeah and that ties into one of my favorite thinkers walida imarisha who is a visionary thinker a visionary writer and science fiction writer who writes science fiction from uh, indigenous perspectives and the science fiction in in her words is a way of us imagining a future where this stuff isn't happening and by giving a voice to that future say it's a utopian future without the police or say it's a utopian future where a genderless utopia let's say uh actually giving a voice to these images a voice to this idea and that that western society has colonialized and repressed because a lot of indigenous societies have to our eyes a very utopian way of life so by giving voice to that you're giving voice to the resistance and for me that leads into my next song because we're already running out of time and there's so much to say and it's really sad that everyone can't speak as much as we could we could do this double amount of time i now realize um but this is a language this is a song that stayed with me since i was very young i heard this song when i was perhaps 10 and i was given a record it's by a band that hugely influenced me called the clash who are known for their political energy and their zest. And it's based on a Lorca waltz. Um, and the lyrics are also loosely translated from uh, the Spanish. So here you go with the clash and rebel waltz. <laughs>
about resistance and about rising up even when your efforts are futile or feel futile to you at least that resistance is never lost and during this song we were started having a really interesting conversation about the power of the statue toppling that's been happening over the past few days and I would like Saskia first to give a quick idea about what you were saying during the break and then we can start to break down what this was said Oh. Really, oh, sorry. It really uh, uh, shocks me how um, how far this is going. Like the whole statue thing and the censoring of movies and uh, even uh, satire that is now uh, understood in a completely different way than how it was meant. Um, it's not the same as the statue topic, but. You know, this is about demolition and about destroying things. And if you want to, let's say, go for a utopia, or if you want to um, at least use your imagination to create a better world, then you have to start building something instead of destructing something. So that's my whole problem with the demolition of the statues. It's not about the statues. It's that you people try to make a point by destroying by being destructive okay. and we're running out of time so I have okay. to keep it short Go ahead. but yeah. Diana then I think the idea of what is being destructive comes different from both ways like for example in Mexico when all the feminist manifestations were happening and like we have the angel of independence that was completely uh, yeah destroyed and pained and everything like the thing here what I really really respect this meta message that we are doing through our physical space because at the end is that we are shaped by the environment we are and that is also physical and symbolical and like you know you have this woman that it's an angel covering gold on the top of the city being this monument and you have 10 women being killed every day does this woman on gold mean something then no it's in the fact of destroying and writing and uh, spray painting it's doing this message about this institution you 
are not actually being violent. You are not destroying anything. You are not attacking anyone. You are giving a message about an state and an institution that is really not on your side. Mm -hmm. and, and this is symbol symbolical way to react. And it's also this symbolic resistance. And I think it's a really, really important part of making visible all these pains and all these things that we don't want to be part of us anymore. And we don't want to just continue, yeah. And for me, it's also really important to note that you say rewriting history, but Europe has a horrible habit of rewriting history. Mm -hmm. And Winston Churchill murdered by genocide 19 million people, and yet we still venerate him as a war hero. Yet Hitler, it would be unthinkable to have um, a statue of Hitler standing around us. And I think statues have a great power because it's not attacking a person. It is attacking an ideology and it is highly symbolic when statues are torn down. At every point in history, at every major revolution, at every turning point, statues are one of the images we remember. We remember the issue of st st Saddam Hussein being torn down. We remember statues of Lenin after the fall of the Berlin Wall. We remember statues of Hitler being fa uh, falling down. And these are marked by historical change. And instead of making us forget they make us remember because they actually make us remember what the past does and this is like my own view on things but that's actually i think what the power of these statues has and the power of toppling them shattered do you have something to say yes no or sign no okay um and now uh we're really running out of time we've only got six minutes left of the show and I would like us to wrap it up by coming back to the idea of utopia and coming up with what we would like a future society to look like. And I would like us to come up with an idea about, uh, which has been in the news a lot recently, about defunding the police. What would a world look like without a police force? And maybe shortly, um, because we're really running out of time, I would love to have a way more in-depth discussion about this. Um, but what would your first response be to this and how would you implement it? Um, Diana? I mean, I don't think it's that hard, I mean, at least for me, to imagine a world without police because police have never been, you know, a pragmatic thing that ever helped me. Like, I don't know any woman that ever asked help to the police that actually was provided. Or a trans person. Yeah, I don't really, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't really think it's something that I would miss in one sense because it have never been useful. And I, <laughs> and I actually think it's really good that now we can recognize that. That, you know, I would trust a million times more to have a neighbor that you know, like I can actually call. And that is the thing, making human connections and depending on ourselves, like it's so human to, to gather in communities and to rely on the community. And they, the community relies on you. For me, imagining of course this future, it's all these things like that have, we have been talking like through the years, like we want to abolish gender, like how, how these steps will be for us, like as women, as, as trans folks, as people, but but yes, like there's all these things that should be more human in the sense that let's stop being consumers. Let's stop behaving as consumers in every aspect of our life because we, we love as consumers, we behave as consumers, we create as consumers. And I think that it's something that from the roots should be taken out. Sana, I'll touch. I think defunding the police in a way can, can mean funding other social organizations. So. Um, just fund education, social workers, healthcare, and these are all much more valuable. 
Um, historically, police didn't really have a big role in keeping the safety of societies. It's more a modern creation. And for me, the police usually just is a symbol of the status quo. And it just saves that. And we don't need that anymore. We should really rely on communities and just relying on each other. Yeah, and Saskia, last thought. You've only got about 20 seconds. Okay, well, um, uh, I, I do can follow Saina, but I think it, it sounds very beautiful, rely on the community, but then people need to become self-responsible. And there we have a lot to do. <laughs> I yeah. agree. And Sachet, I'll hand over to you for your last thought, and then we can go to the cultural agenda. Yeah, I'd like to very briefly say that, you know, <clears throat> um, defunding the police really depends upon where you're talking about. Every society is different. Every society deals with questions of violence, of crime, of peace differently. So um, I don't want to give a generic answer. I am very much in support of the ideas expressed on this table. But speaking with more, uh, with more detail beyond that is pointless because we all are potentially talking about different situations. But what I would say is that if you truly want to defund the police, you have to end private property. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to also demilitarize society, which is something I'm strongly in favor of. Definitely. And unfortunately, that means we're out of time for today's show. So I'd like to thank you very much to RTP for providing the studios and Zaud University of Applied Sciences and all the team at iArts for the last three years. And also to all of you wonderful guests for being here. It means the world to me. And now we can go over to the cultural agenda. We've only got two minutes left and I still want to get in my last song. Okay, super quickly. Uh, Student Radio Maastricht has a meet and greet and chill on Friday the 19th at 7 o'clock. You can check us check it out on Facebook. There's a One System, One Fight Human Chain on Sunday the 21st at 3 o'clock. Please be there. Um, Dot and Square, um, whose designer we interviewed a few weeks back on radio, are having fitting moments near Entre Deux. They have all recycled fashion and I think it's fantastic. Check it out. Um, there is uh, an exhibition at Marais until Sunday called Yes, Please. Um, Midsummer's Night Dream will be on on musicheaterai.nl on 19th June at 8 o'clock and uh, next week we're going to talk about music from high school okay brilliant and now I'd like to sign off with her incredibly poignant song for three years ago I arrived here and three years later I am leaving at least for a bit three years ago a lover gave me a mixtape and three years later I want to leave you here with Leonard Cohen hey that's no way to say goodbye thank you for listening this is also my last show so thank you everyone for the last few years many love before and in forests they smiled like me and you but now it's come to distances and both of us must try Your eyes are soft with sorrow Hey, that's no way to say goodbye I'm not looking for another as I wander in my time Walk me to the corner Our steps will always rise